Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Such a Gorgeous Paradox. Today, I have a very special friend of mine and colleague to, to talk to. And I would like to start by asking Haley to introduce herself. Well, hi, I'm Haley, and um, I'm a drama therapist. Um, I'm also, well, how would I class myself? A friend, a foe, a fighter, a feminist, um, proud mother of a dog. Um, yeah, I think that kind of sums me up. Love it. <laughs> um, before we talk more, I just wanted to be... I guess transparent and, and tell everyone that we know each other. We've known each other for for many years. Yeah, uh, I don't know how many. Uh, probably around five or six or it's more. At least five and a half. Yeah, because actually, so we trained in the same institution as therapists. It's longer than five and a half. It's very. It's much longer. <laughs> yes, I just realized, and. Um, and Haley, you were in the year above me, correct? Yes. Yes. Yes, I was. So, uh, so I guess I've known you, sort of more or less for many years. Let's just put it that way. Yep. And we we probably became more friends towards the end of your training, and sort of yeah. I still had one year to go when we started really hanging out. Yeah. And. Um, and we also are part of a subcommittee for our professional association, yep. which at the time was called Equality and Diversity. And then two years ago, we took over, we took charge, I guess, <laughs> of that subcommittee as co-conveners. And we, <clears throat> we decided to, to change the name to Inclusion and Visibility Subcommittee. So we've been working also alongside each other for many years. Yeah. And uh, we've also partied together yes, for many years and have seen each other quite drunk for many, many years. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's, I guess, the context of how we, how we know each other as well. Yeah. And, and I think we've worked for the same company, but never sort of together, together. No. Uh, we've worked for different, for yeah, for the same companies at different times of our careers, correct? And at different sites. At different sites. Yeah. So we we have been actual professional colleagues, but never actually, but never really working together. No, we've only bumped into each other um, at training events. Mm. And I guess the only time where we've really uh, got to work uh, with each other is when we've co-facilitated uh, CPD, um, as well as the the keynote at the conference and yes yeah that kind of th stuff <laughs> indeed indeed um yeah i had forgotten about the the cpds momentarily so maybe how could you uh, how could i indeed uh we we might we might speak about them uh in a in a little while um but actually i was wondering as a as a bit of a of an icebreaker uh if uh what um yeah what was the last song you listened to that you can think of oh Ed Sheeran Perfect okay 
Nice. He did sing that, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are other singers with a song called "Perfect," but mm. I, I, I'm pretty sure Ed Sheeran does have a song called "Perfect." Yeah, I think that was the last one I listened to. Yeah, um, and I also wanted to ask you, you know, how how you feel when you hear the expression "such a gorgeous paradox." What kind of things? does that evoke in you in terms of your life? I'm going to have to think about this one. Okay. It's, um, it's a tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> um, such gorgeous paradox. What does it evoke in me? Well, the question itself invokes fear <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because it sounds so big mm. and there's a part of me that wants to come out with something really profound, but I'm failing to do so. Um, I guess I kind of relate to it in, in terms of, well, that's, that's life, isn't it? You know, where, where we have the highs, we also have the lows. Uh, it can't be all, all of one and not the other. And it's a bit of a contradiction. And um, I guess relating it to drama therapy, um, same principle in that, um it's such a priv privileged job to be in mm. um but my word it can be so draining mm. it comes with a price yes preach <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's that's lovely uh again as we as we tell our clients over and over again there's no right or wrong <laughs> <laughs> thanks ryan there's no right or wrong it, there's just it just is, you know, so uh, I think that's why I like that expression a lot, that it can, it, it will evoke different things in different people. Um, and uh, I like what you said about the contradictory nature of the expression, the contradictory nature of, of life itself sometimes. And um, and I think that's also something I, I wanted to cover uh, in, in the podcast, but also in, in our conversation that we're, we're having just now. And I think with that in mind, I was also wondering, what would you say is the um, sort of the greatest motivator in your life or motivating force in your life? My friends and family. Hmm. Um, they're the ones who, who motivate me um, for practically everything. Uh, yeah. Nice. That and traveling, sightseeing. Mm. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, so moving to, to what we do to, mm. as uh, professionally, to how we trained, because this, uh, you know, this series of this first series of the podcast about drama therapy and interviewing drama therapists, because uh, some parts of the funding came from our association. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to start with the here and now in terms of what is your understanding of drama therapy today, you know, um, at this moment in your career and life? So, um, 
what is drama therapy? I absolutely hate that question, Ryan. <laughs> you're uh, welcome. You're, thank you. <laughs> so um, drama therapy to me um, is, well, starters, it, it's a misleading um, title is what I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to scrap the drama and just focus in on the therapy because really what it's truly about is relationship. Mm. Um and drama therapists will use, you know, creative means. Uh, it'll be client-led. Um, so whether that be sitting down and talking or using a story or music or art or what have you. Um, but I really want, you know, using that to explore difficulties and to also develop the relationship and the trust. Um, but drama therapy is so much more um, than that. Uh, especially in these present times, things have had to change, things have had to move. During our training, we were taught, you know, therapy in the room at a set time. And actually, no, it's in reality, it's not like that. Yes, you do have the traditional drama therapy practice of your clients come into your room. Um, but um, I found myself doing um, ecotherapy where um, because of COVID and, and everything that's going on with this pandemic, I've been um, facilitating drama therapy out in the park, in a garden, um, in home visits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, on Zoom even, as we're conducting this podcast. Is, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, it's about the connection. Mm. Lovely. And, uh, and actually, you've touched on a few things there about the current situation, about what COVID is COVID-19 and the current pandemic has brought to to our profession and the changes that it has demanded of us, uh, I think, as practitioners. And I definitely want to cover that um, a bit later in in a bit more detail because you you said a lot of interesting things about what what you have had to do and how you've had to adapt. Um, And that's uh, definitely something I want to explore uh, but even going back to the original question of what is drama therapy, dr- drama therapy to you today, uh, I'm also curious to know, has it changed? Has that perception changed from the first time you came across the concept or even the, the idea of training? Yes, in a word, actually. <laughs> um, it's... The emphasis, the excuse me, the emphasis isn't um, placed uh, so much on the techniques that we learnt at Roehampton uh, mm. University, as uh, wonderful as they were. Um, they're not really practical for all client groups. No one prescription fits all, as they say, mm. um, and that's very true of uh, drama therapy and um, things that I wouldn't have considered um, practicing. Um, that I'd learned on my training, I have found me incorporating uh, into my sessions. For instance, food and drink. It's now that's not something that I usually do, but um, I've worked with clients who, unfortunately, their basic needs aren't being met. Mm. So, actually, no. In 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 terms of best supporting them, I'm more than happy for them to have a sandwich and a drink, a glass of water, um, to sit down and talk um to um 
to just play. Um, And um, yeah, to um, the fact that some therapy can be brought to the clients that they don't have to necessarily come to a center. Did one piece of work uh, where, um, you know, um, this, this client had specific needs. And so I worked at that individual school, home and hospital ward. Mm. I followed them uh, through their journey towards uh, healing from major surgery. Um, so I think drama therapy, although we're tra- taught about boundaries and yes, boundaries are so important. They are fundamental, but there are, it's about finding that right balance of a, a therapist being boundless. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's really important because um, I think what, what, what the audience hopefully will hear a lot about drama therapy is that uh, yes, it, it may at times be quite different than what they think therapy is, but at the same time is also quite simple uh, it can be quite simple. Uh, it's mostly extremely adaptable. That was always also my personal impression of whilst training and then working. Um, but uh, but there's something even about the idea of boundaries that you know I was, I was um, discussing this with a colleague the other day for a different kind of therapeutic work, uh, sort of putting together a workshop on boundaries, for instance, and. And it dawned on me that people probably have different ideas of what a boundary is. Um, and, and the way we are trained is with regards to a specific type of boundary that comes from a, a very specific tradition of therapy and, you know, there's a context there of why uh, therapy was boundaried in specific ways. And, um, and you know me, I've always pushed certain boundaries. And um, so there's something quite important there, even to explore with clients individually, you know, what, what are boundaries? Yeah. Uh, what do they look like? Um, you know? Because they can be quite scary for people that have never had boundaries. Yeah. They can be quite threatening. And sometimes we forget that uh, or people don't consider that. Mm. Um, and at the same time, they can be very containing mm. as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, they are containing, but <laughs> they can also be threatening. And yeah. uh, and again, it, it's, it's a bit of a gorgeous paradox in itself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I should have some drums to to do that that um pum sound. Definitely, maybe a triangle. Yes. Oh, triangle. That would be that would be cool. Uh, I'll think about that. Um, and and how did you how did you come into drama therapy? What what was that journey like to to this profession? Because it's not necessarily something we hear about at school. I I don't I don't think. No. Um... I first heard um, about drama therapy um, when uh, it was actually uh, my first day at Freshers Week during my first uh, degree. Um, and Which was where? Uh, Kent Uni. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was studying drama and theatre studies. 
And um, I remember someone mentioning it and I, and I thought, oh yeah, that, that sounds really interesting and definitely wanted to know more. Um, and the more I looked into it, the more sense it made because I always loved drama as a child. Um, I found it very healing. Um, and um, I always knew that I wanted to do something with drama, but I was always torn because uh, in other jobs, um, um, I've always wanted to help people. And so drama therapy really just kind of married the two passions. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I have to admit, I a part of me also just fell into drama therapy um, a little bit. Um, in that um, I didn't really know what I was doing with my life when I first went to uni. I just knew that I wanted to go to uni. Uh, in, in many respects, I, I feel quite lucky that I did come across it so early because I then started to craft um, all the things that I was doing so that I could meet the requirements of the training um, because I, I, I was pretty sold on the idea. Mm. Um, yeah. And how was it when you got to the training? What sort of expectations did you have and 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 what did you yeah what did you meet at training I met a lot mm. um I was so excited I was so made up to um be finally going going to study drama therapy it had been such a long time in the making um because the fees are extortionate so I mm. spent a long time saving money um, and uh, trying to get people to fund uh, a workplace to fund and and all that lot and uh, so I remember being absolutely ecstatic and then completely nervous and feeling like a complete and utter fraud um, was I worthy of being there um, am I capable of being a therapist um, yeah and um yeah, drama therapy uh, training was an experience that I cannot really put into words or um, properly describe because if I do, it'll probably sound like a cult. Um, mm. And in some respects, yeah, it was a bit of a cult. Unless you're unless you're there and you're doing it, yeah. um, you, you, it I remember trying to tell uh, people on the outside world what we're. Um, what, what I was doing at uni and they'd just look at me like I was completely off my my head and um and um what I found was it was playful um and it tested you in so many ways um I felt that my training was a bit different or how I re reacted to my training was diff uh, was a different journey to to my peers mm partly because of my very makeup as an individual mm -hmm. um by the um so I'm um I'm mixed race I'm half English half Sri Lankan by the end of uh, my training I was the only uh, person of color left mm -hmm. in, in my year group um I was also only person there um who who wasn't straight um and I wasn't the only person there with a disability, but I guess um, mine is more visible. I have a number of disabilities, um, mm. um, some of which are non-visible and some of which are visible. Um, and the drama therapy training, 
unfortunately, uh, was not supportive um, of this, nor was it geared up. Mm. I believe that they tried to be supportive. Um, I genuinely do. But um, yeah, it, it, it was very, very difficult because whilst other people were off and about and processing and going deep into their thoughts and, you know, thinking about their, their childhood and, and what have you, um, there were so many areas of my life that were left unexplored in comparison because so much attention went on to my disability and the fact that um, uh, so much uh, of my, my energy had to be in t terms of trying to physically um, meet the demands of the course, which a disabled person cannot. Mm. And it wasn't adaptable. And um, I think that's what I found quite crushing. Um, as, as beautiful and wonderful as the training was, I found it quite crushing and disheartening that therapists who are also trainers did not really fully understand disability or ethnicity. Or sexuality maybe you know but mainly disability um and that's you know i'm with a cohort who are all training to be therapists but um with scapegoat disability on occasion um and um and that's drama therapy is meant to be adaptable we adapt it for our clients mm. but do we adapt it for the practitioner mm. um there were moments where I used to question, is there such a thing as a disabled drama therapist? Can there be one? Mm. Um, and the only solution I would get from um, uh, the training institution was uh, uh, to defer a year, mm. which with my condition isn't the solution. Yeah. Um, You'd still be deferring by now. I probably would still be deferring yes. by now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. And, that, and, yeah. and and you make really, there's a really important, you know, there's many important points there, but, but there's something about where you were saying how your cohort was able, you know, people in that cohort were able to, to process things uh, quite deeply and go to places in their journeys that perhaps you couldn't because actually you had to, you know, and I know this from our long years of friendship and, and our, our many private conversations we've had over the years. I know there's a lot of physical pain that you endured and, and you sort of uh, alluded to that, that you had to concern yourself with the physicality mm -hmm. of the course and not just the psychological aspect of the course. And, um, you know, and that connects back to what you were saying about sometimes clients don't have their basic needs met. And so if you don't have basic needs met, you cannot actually engage in, a, in any kind of deep emotional or psychological exploration because there are basic needs that aren't being met. And, and for you, you know, because you had to, deal with the physicality of it, that implies a lot of basic needs. Um, you know, I can think of, you know, the idea of safety, the idea of feeling safe and, and supported and grounded and uh, they weren't there. So then therefore you, you probably couldn't explore as fully as 
as everyone else. Um, would you agree with that? And, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I mean, um, for instance, um, I continued to have therapy long after um, my training finished because I knew that there was other stuff that the course had kind of touched on, mm. um, but there hadn't been that room for me to fully explore or come to terms or, you know, integrate. And um, yeah, um, I think that's a fair summary. Yeah. And, um, and again, this is something, in fact, this is, this is how we, in a way, met and started working together at the then Equality and Diversity Subcommittee, because this was something you wanted to, to bring and explore and, and have the association sort of, um, positively address, positively address. Well, well done. I was caught for words there um and you know we we have faced interesting dynamics you have faced interesting dynamics in that attempt to to bring these conversations to to light um including including a very interesting dynamic between us in fact uh which i think it's important to be transparent about and i think it's quite useful to to put out there, which was the, you know, I came into the subcommittee to, you know, with my pride flag uh, and my and my queer social justice and my queer everything, you know, shouting and, and, and being quite vocal. Uh, not really shouting because I'm not a shouter. Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> You're just being passionate. Yes, I, I'm passionate. Passion. I'm diplomatically passionate, I, I feel. Um, and um, and again, because it, it was a topic that was perhaps more easy to engage with from those around us, uh, it ended up being that the project I suggested many years ago was the project that went ahead rather than your project around disability, uh, which uh, it's something we're still fighting for. Um, and that's really interesting. And we've had this conversation as well mm -hmm. uh, many times, but I think it's important to, to just acknowledge, you know, in this moment that even though we all come to, to places um, in order to proactively address some of our experiences, uh, that even in those spaces sometimes experiences are more valid than others or are made to feel more valid and more important than others. And, um, and my own biases at the time didn't allow me to see that. So, um, so yeah, I just wanted to put that out there because it's important to, to acknowledge. Yeah. Thank you. Although I think it's, um, it's a really hard thing when, especially in a group like, as it was then, equality and diversity, because you have so many people coming mm. um, and, um, you know, and voicing these concerns and social injustices, and they're all important. Yeah. They're all valid. Yeah. They're all important. They're all in need of attention. Yeah. And um, I think in terms of, you know, what, I mean, I think it was absolutely great that um, LGBTQ plus um, did go forward um, with the projects and um, I was very happy to be a part of that. 
but I'm also thinking on reflection there were more voices for mm. that yes um and same with other projects we've had in the past mm. and I guess um disability and illness has very much been in the minority mm. and um and I wonder if there you know there's something uncomfortable for people um to look at and it's something that I um uh, I, I actually had this uh, co very conversation with um, my boss, funnily enough, recently at mm. work, um, talking to my boss uh, very recently. Um, and, um, well, about about disability um, and um, unconscious bias, um, sexuality, the whole shebang, really, um, because um, uh, still to this day, you know, people do discriminate unfortunately against one another whether they mean to or not and disability is um, one that um, I encounter more so than anything else I feel quite comfortable it's not easy but I'm reasonably comfortable in you know standing up um, as a woman as a feminist um, as um, as being queer um, but um, and being mixed race, sorry, I keep forgetting all the categories I tick. <laughs> um, but the hardest one is disability. Um, and it doesn't feel like there is enough out there uh, to support it. And, um, and the proof was in the pudding, really, with some of the, the difficulties I was encountering at this work workplace. And um, it wasn't just disability, but all the other things, mm. such as homophobic um, language mm. uh, used uh, towards me um that was easily addressed mm. but disability oh well what we need to do is put a risk assessment in place mm. because you're made to feel like you're a safety hazard sometimes mm. and there's the difference really yeah, yeah. I, I feel there's something about you know disability um I'm thinking from a sort of psychological perspective in terms of what are the the core issues that we all deal with right and and I you know there's nothing more core I guess than than life and death and and I wonder if disability is one of those things that triggers people mm -hmm. in terms of not being um I don't know of not having the the perfect idea of what a, a person is or I don't know is it a reflection of or a reminder of um their own mortality yeah. for instance and um yeah I mean there are there are a whole range of of, of thoughts or, or what it of what it could be mm. and I dare say it varies for each person um but is it you know yeah is it rocking the boat in terms of not everything is perfect not everything looks perfect or you know um but then life isn't perfect and yeah I mean things have come a long way there was a time um when people with disabilities couldn't even train to be psychotherapists mm, yeah. um and so we have come a long way since then and we continue to um because especially yeah. since and in fact one of your focus is actually wanting to talk about the disability of the therapist mm -hmm. because because as you said actually as therapists, we, we do work, especially drama therapists, it's one of those uh, therapeutic professions that, you know, tends to be provided 
in environments where there's a lot of um, disability or difficulties uh, in terms of, um, you know, physical as well as psychological difficulties. And, um, but your, your focus was always on the, what does that look like when the therapists themselves have disabilities, both visible and non-visible? And, and I would say being on the outside of that, right? Cause I, I can't identify with the, with the visible disability aspect of your experience. What I, um, what I've observed is that every time you talk, you try to push that conversation forward, you met with resistance because actually people don't want to admit that therapists can have a disability or an illness that therapists aren't in fact perfect. Yeah. And it all comes down to um, what I've heard, you know, uh, it being ethical mm. or unethical yeah. um, and um, one. And uh, I think therapists in general will all have our own relationship with therapist self-disclosure. At the end of the day, there is no denying that we are projected onto whether you're mm. white black male female whatever's visible is going to be projected on and a visible yeah. disability is one of those things and I think really we're doing ourselves a disservice if we can't start thinking about you know how we work um, with these things so I know that there have been plenty not enough but in comparison to disability there have been plenty of articles uh, published on uh, therapist disclosing uh, disclosing about sexuality uh, discussing race mm. um, well it's not unethical to discuss or disclose these things so why would it be for mm. disability um, and but then we come to um, well you know it's maybe it's a little bit too personal or um, or I'm not actually too sure but um, what I'm really really aware of is that majority of us I can't speak for all of us but majority of us enter this uh, profession um, because we're wounded in some way and mm. doesn't you know Young himself say that only the wounded physician heals um, we are therefore wounded healers mm. and actually I think through sharing these wounds and showing clients um, that we're not hundred <laughs> percent that we're not perfect um actually can you know help mm. in in many respects and um i've certainly seen it um in my my own practice um it's when clients see me as human when they relate to me and that's whether it's a disability or no disability but that is a part of me regardless yeah. that's where effective change actually happens yeah absolutely and and actually as you as you're talking about your work um i was wondering also if you could share what uh yeah what you do in terms of what in practice so what kind of environments have you worked in as a therapist uh, what kind of client groups have you been able to support and 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 learn from uh, yeah so I have worked um, in the past with um, 
adult offenders with complex psychopathologies um, that's been both in a secure units um, and prison. Um, I've um, supported adults um, uh, recovering from addiction. Um, I have worked in adoption um, that's both pre and post adoption um, with the children, the young people and their families and supporting those relationships to grow and that and to transition into a new family, mm. even years after the event, maybe. Um, I've worked with uh, profound and multiple um, learning disabilities, um, young people, children, and young people with um, life limiting um, conditions um, and life threatening conditions, um, degenerative and acquired conditions. Um, I've uh, also worked um, with um, young people with uh, social, emotional uh, and mental health needs. Um, trying to think if that's... Um, I've worked with um, uh, transgender clients, um, L well, LGBTQ mm -hmm. plus clients. Uh, clients with disabilities um, I guess that's covered with the profound but um, yeah. I've done the whole from moderate to profound mm -hmm. um, yeah and a, a whole variety of mental health needs yeah I suppose yeah and uh, and you were saying at the because because you were mentioning environments and then moved sort of to yeah the client <laughs> groups no it's all right um, but yeah besides the secure units and prisons what other sort of actual environments professionally have you worked in? So I've worked um, in schools, mm -hmm. um, both uh, special education um, and mainstream. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked in support centres, um, daycare. Um, and I think colleges as well as schools. Um, and kind of like outreach um, uh, pro programs um that's about about it i think yeah and do you have um do you have a favorite like a favorite um not necessarily professional placement or or job uh, um or favorite is, is, a, is a strange word to use, isn't it? <laughs> given, that, <laughs> given some of the environments we work in, but um, perhaps an environment that feels that you, that have, that has um, taught you the most or, or surpri surprised you the most even? That's a really hard question. <laughs> um, is it like picking your favorite children? It, it really, <laughs> it really is. It's exactly that, Ryan. Um, because I've really valued, I've genuinely valued um, each area that I've worked in. And one thing that I aspire to have um, in my practice as a drama therapist is variety. Um, so I like to work with both adults and with children. And I, I have, you know, been, really been privileged with all the clients I've, I've worked with. Um, you know, um, I really enjoyed um, working in forensics. Um, adoption, I find extremely challenging, probably more challenging in some respects rather than forensics. Mm -hmm. um, and 
um, I found working with a PMLD heartbreaking. Um, and so I had to know, learn my boundary um, and stop Can you working. specify what that is for people who don't Yes, know sorry, profound, profound and multiple learning disabilities. Yeah. Um, I worked for over 10 and a half years in that field, uh, long before I was a drama therapist. And um, I loved working uh, with these people. Um, they're amazing. Um, but um, I, I have, I, um, I'm currently taking a break mm-hmm. um, because I find it heart wrenching when you do lose someone so young. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess uh, bereavement is something that spans across all um, uh, client groups. But um, mm. yeah, I wanted to come back to something you you, you mentioned at the start, which was um, changes that have occurred due to COVID and the pandemic and, and, um, and how that has changed your practice and continues to change your practice, actually, because we, we're not done. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the biggest change was um, going from uh, working person to person to on Zoom and getting to grips with that. Mm. Um, especially when uh, you've worked with clients, you work with clients who really enjoy the embodiment side of things and the moving around and all of a sudden you're kind of stuck to a laptop or a computer or uh, what have you. Um, but it it kind of encouraged me to, to think outside the box and think about how um, can I make this this work how can we still do or emulate some of the things that we used to and as, as well as creates new so using the whiteboard function um also changing the backgrounds on zoom mm-hmm. um and pretending that you're somewhere else on holiday or, or what have you um inviting clients to bring their own uh costumes in as it mm. were and doing dress up and objects for some clients um before we got down to complete lockdown um i managed to um split up uh, some some little resources for them to hold on to so that we could continue the work um and that was really helpful um but yeah no it it really changed and i i never thought that i'd see the day that i facilitated um you know a, a family therapy in a park mm. um but you know what it's probably one of my <laughs> most favorite uh, sessions and they really took full advantage of being in the park and using the space yeah um and it was like it was almost like having a party in the park um in some respects um and to work with the unknown i mean we work with the unknown anyway but doing it outside has the edge because you don't know when a dog's going to come over or, mm. or what have you um and um risk assessing that and also incorporating that in the session yeah um yeah and I guess the biggest change for me is that it's actually um it's kind of given me the confidence to think about setting up my own private practice so actually out of all this horrible experience these horrible experience during the pandemic um where it has been really difficult to support people via phone for those who don't Mm -hmm. want to be on zoom or 
through letter writing even I've I've also had to do that mm. um you know some positives have have come out of it yeah I mean does that answer your question yeah it, it de- indeed it does and I, I think that's there's something really important to sometimes it's really hard to tell people and in fact I find sometimes it can be quite cruel to tell people that there's always a positive and a negative uh, because there's a time and place to say certain such things. Um, but we know that professionally because we've seen it. We also know that personally because uh, we've survived things, we've gone through things. So we know there are positive things, even in the most painful things. Uh, again, another gorgeous paradox. And, um, but, um, yeah, but it's important to take our time to get to that, uh, to get to that place where we can see positives. Um, because sometimes in the middle of the crisis, we can't see that there will be yeah. something positive. But, mm-hmm. but we've seen already, I think most of us working as therapists have noticed that there are new things that we've learned and noticed mm-hmm. and realized during this time. And uh, which sort of proves and validates what we know about creativity, that Mm. it often comes out of the most painful of moments or doubtful moments, you know, something will arise and, and lead the way and show us the way. Yeah. And this has really been a unique time, Mm. I think, in terms of, you know, effectively, you know, we're, as therapists, we're supporting our clients through a trauma that we're experiencing ourselves at the Mm. same time. Yes. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's been a real learning curve that no one has really the answers to, and we're all kind of learning together. Yeah. Finding our way. It is, it is certainly the greatest unknown I've personally had to deal with as a therapist and personally. So I, I am sure everyone, everyone else feels mm-hmm. quite similarly to yeah. that. Uh, so we're, we're coming to the end and sort of wrapping up the, the episode and the conversation. And I wanted to end um, by focusing a little bit on the gorgeous aspect of the, of the, uh, of the title of the podcast and, and gorgeousness to me uh, even the word itself, saying it brings a smile to, to my face. I, I, I don't know what it is about the word that makes me smile. Uh, and, so, and so I was wondering what makes you smile and what gives you joy and levity in, in these times of, you know, of great confusion and, and uncertainty, what, what is giving you joy at the moment? Ed Sheeran perfect no I'm joking that's not what's giving me um uh, but actually no music mm-hmm. dancing in my living room nice. and listening out for bird song mm. and when I can just going out and being out in nature um with my dog yeah. amazing um and finally I also wanted to end with a bit of a word slash image association game 
So I'm gonna give you five words, and um, after I give you, after I give you one word, um, you'll give me either another word or an image that, yeah, that you associate with that word. Yeah. Uh, there's no right okay. or wrong. <laughs> Obviously, because I'm not therapists. being analyzed. Okay. No, no one's <laughs> analyzing you right now. I'm not making clinical notes. Um, so, first word, feel. Held. Love. Family. Mm. Grow. Just have an image of a plant. Mm -hmm. uh, connect. Ah. Uh. I picture um I picture holding people again mm. to connect. Yeah. Yeah, I just resonated with that quite strongly <laughs> just now. Final word, um heal. Mm. I was gonna say drama therapy, but actually it would be time, I time. think. Mm. Amazing. Well, Haley, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for, so much for sharing with, uh, well, with me and whoever the audience to this podcast will be. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Uh, I hope it wasn't as scary as, as, we, as we both thought at the start <laughs> um, before this conversation today. Um, and yes, um, thank you everyone for listening and for spending this time with us. And uh, yeah, wait around for the next for next week's episode. Thank you, everyone. Bye.